Have you seen me dice bag? The Grognard Files. Hello, my name is Dirt the Dice, and this is the Grognard Files podcast, where we talk bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day. And today, this podcast extra is being recorded in the middle of November 2021, the weekend after the weekend before. Last week, it was grog meet, both in Manchester, in Meat Space, and at your place for grog meet-ish, the virtual event that ran concurrently. This podcast is a live recording from the event in Manchester. A panel, including Paul Fricker, and Ian Cooper from Chaosium joined me and Blythe in a mashup with Dave Patterson's Frankenstein's RPG. A monster mashup. Over the past year, Dave has been trying to assemble a role-playing game that features all the best elements from everywhere else. He gathers a panel for each episode, and each person makes a pitch for what they think should be included in the final Frankenstein's RPG. I've appeared on the programme a couple of times and have been successful in adding a couple of elements, including the initiative system from Conan 2D20 and the scenario for 13th Age Make Your Own Look, written by Gareth Ryder Hanrahan. Can I make it a hat trick? You'll have to listen to find out. Despite fate continually conspiring against us, we actually flipping did it. And sometimes play reports are a bit like listening to someone else telling you about their dreams. If it feels like that for you, then please feel free to zub along a bit to the main segment as I'm about to give you a quick whistle-stop summary of my personal experiences of the weekend. It was a tremendous four days, commencing with Pookie's challenging, near-impossible online RPG pub quiz. You'll find the questions and, more importantly, the answers in the Grog Locker if you're a patron. In Manchester, we kicked off with Grogmore, the battle for Lemuria, hosted by old Scouse roleplayer Neil Benson. There were six tables of players, each representing a tower of a castle, and the army that was defending the last bastion of Lemuria against the demon hordes that had laid waste everything in its path. It was down to the players at each table to influence the result, defend their tower and contribute to the collective effort which would be determined by a single role at the end of the session. Neil would resolve whether their efforts were successful or not. The dice would decide. This was my first time running Barbarians of Lemuria, but it's not going to be my last, as I love the system and the kind of cinematic swords and sorcery it generated. I need to work on some system mastery. I enjoyed running the game. The Mythic Edition has battlefield rules that we use to simulate the war efforts against the overwhelming forces that the castle faced. The players played heroic characters who had the opportunity to conduct heroic actions against the enemies to reduce the forces against them. For example, destroying the secret weapon, a monstrous chark, or confronting the enemy's evil sorcerer and preventing his magical interventions, and finally reaching the giants beyond the mountains to seek their aid, their reinforcements with their giant elephants. Every table had a different variation of heroic actions to generate victory points to add to the final roll. All but one table were in the positive, therefore five was added to the roll that Neil made. The target was nine, he rolled three. The one weakened tower meant that the whole castle fell to the demons. This was probably the biggest ever total party kill. Not only the 30 assembled characters, but an entire population of Lemuria destroyed. One crossed off the bucket list for the old Scouse roleplayer. 
Don't blame him. It was the dice. Grog Me Eve is the Friday evening session that has traditionally been the home of newer games or a chance for people to experiment a bit. There was a couple of epic games of Sandy Peterson's Glanthan God's War in memory of Mike Hobbs, the first ever con game of Rivers of London, the D-Sanction, RuneQuest Glantha, Daily Dwarf's latest 2000 AD spectacular featuring the Cabalists, Jane Austen RPG, and the Frankenstein's RPG was brought to life with a blast of lightning. I ran Leoness, which was the first time that I played the game face to face. It was great to see it come alive as it really is a game that needs the players to interact freely with each other to exchange petty rivalries and plans to further their own desires, dependencies and ambitions. What was striking was how well the Vancian meal generator works around a table. It seems to counter the best advice of starting con games with action. Sly Flourish talks about a strong start to get the players going. However, there's a lot to be said about a bit of world building. Generating the name of the village, the pub and the epic meal shared by the characters when they first meet. Everyone gets an opportunity to roll the dice in a non-threatening scene and their response to the food and the environment can reveal something about their characters with very little effort, and it creates something memorable for the session. Grilled caribou with roasted tubers? With nettle custard, anyone? Anyone? No? The next day was grog meat proper. I was a player in the morning session, playing Troika for the first time. You'll know from the recent fighting fantasy episode of the podcast that it uses a variation of the advanced fighting fantasy system. But it generates weird, exotic characters in a strange dream punk universe. Numenera meets the singing ringing tree. Rob Arcangeli corralled the collective weirdos of a veteran, street kid, barbecuer, porter and swamp despoiler really well. At one point, we appear to be triple agents working against two factions, only deciding which side we were going to poison by splitting cards. It was great fun. In the afternoon, I ran Gangbusters. We're going to feature the game in a future episode of the podcast, so I won't get too much into it here. Just to say that we covered a lot of ground trying to pack in the Death in the Docks module into a convention session. It featured a strong opening scene that cut to a flashback that was only resolved after two hours of play. The players settled into their characters well. The beat cops on one side of the table exchanging banter with the prohibition agents on the other, tackling gangsters who were being used to shake down the longshoremen who were being influenced by Trotsky elements. It culminated in an epic Tommy gun battle with Hooch and Hoods getting riddled with bullets. I loved it. The gaming didn't stop there. At about midnight, I joined Grogmeat-ish, the online element of the convention. Last year, one of my gaming highlights was playing with Ian Wilson of the Roll to Save podcast in his Paranoia game, and I was loath to miss out this time. It was probably ill-advised as I'd spent five hours in the pub and was completely leathered by the time I fired up the laptop. The Paranoia game was in full swing when I joined. Ian runs a great game. His Alpha Complex is menacingly passive-aggressive and features sound effects and jolly music. I'd lost the ability to function, let alone speak. I might have had a few bouncy bubble beverages, I announced when I arrived. When I found my voice, I was blathering about blessings and algorithmic sheep. I don't think they noticed. If they did, to Ian and my fellow gamers, sorry for being that guy. Sunday afternoon was Go Play Manchester, hosted by Newt Newport, who's probably going to revive the regular sessions following a Covid-induced hibernation. I ran a Savage Worlds game of King Kong on the Planet of the Apes, inspired by the Boom Comics graphic novel. 
Savage worked perfectly to generate the character archetypes from the movies and the TV show. Zaius was pompously dispensing instructions, Ursus was blasting every human that moved while Dr. Zyra tried to stop him, and Cornelius twitched his nose. The appearance of King Kong was a perfect way to end the weekend. Sunday morning, we recorded the following bobbins to the audience of the Grog Squad. Enjoy. I'll be back at the end with a few podcast recommendations. Until then... Ramblers, let's get rambling. Frankenstein's RPG. Give it to us. Yeah. <coughs> <laughs> Hello, my name is Dirt the Dice, and this is the Grognard Files podcast. <laughs> where we talk bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day and today. I'm coming live from the heart of Manchester in Fanboy 3, and I'm completely and utterly surrounded by the Grog Squad. Make your presence known. <laughs> Some of them are wearing masks. I don't know what that's about. It's, uh, I, I, I might not have woken up. It might be that vasectomy flashback uh, anxiety dream. <laughs> we'll carry on anyway. Here on my right, I have uh, Dave Patterson from the Frankenstein's RPG podcast. Hello, Dave. Hello, Dave. And on my left, I have the ridiculous homemade shrine to the actor, Caroline Monroe. Would you like to give that a tap, Dave? I'm just... I'm come over all giddy. Never likes me, give it. Okay. Oh. So she's uh, she's got the head of Naomi. She's been hybridised, the eternal champion. Kara's uh, body from Captain Cronus, Vampire Hunter. Stella Star's arms and Doug McClure's legs. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> Great news for all our listeners. We're combining a podcast with uh, uh, Frankenstein's RPG. So who's going to be the Star Lord and who's going to be 2000 AD of this uh, situation? Oh, can I be 2000 AD, please? <laughs> yeah, we'll make sure that that happens. So for people who don't know what uh, Frankenstein's RPG podcast is, what is it? A, a, a series of people have been asked to come onto the show. They pick a, a, a particular rule set, an element of a rule set that they really like, and then we, we debate about you know, uh, which category we're actually looking at that week. We debate which one of these RPGs that are nominated by the panel is the best, and they make it into the game. The issue is then trying to stitch it all together and make sure the game actually works. I- I yeah. can officially confirm it does not work. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we played, obviously, thank you very much for inviting us, we played on Friday night, and within about three minutes, I think, we redesigned just about everything. And then continually through, through the session of play, we, we redesigned it. But we're getting there. We're getting yeah, there. Well, sometimes creating monsters is an iterative process. You, know, <laughs> you have to go through many stages. So each episode... You uh, take a, a theme or a couple of themes, don't you, yeah. from, uh, from from role playing games and uh, d- discuss them. So, which has been your favourite topic of uh, discussion? Which one have you enjoyed uh, debating? I think it's mainly the ones that I won, actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, I, where I got my uh, my bits into the into the game. So, which, which ones were those then? What, what, what did you get in? I got um, I got the Merp uh, critical hit tables in, which yeah. I was particularly happy about. Oh. Uh, Maelstrom magic, uh, although it looks nothing like Maelstrom magic anymore. Um, I'm trying to think what else we got. In there. Oh, the Dragon Warriors Beastury as well, which right. was a particular highlight. Um, yeah, but there's, there's some bits of where we've just had to. You know, we've sort of had to cannibalise large amounts of it, and it's sort of it's almost philosophically it's in the game. Yes, but, but not actually present. So. <laughs> so let's talk about the game. So what what was the scenario? And just to remind you, I I chose the scenario. <laughs> I won that bit, didn't I? So did it, 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 how did the scenario go, and how did it uh, go in play? Well, if I start by saying it was a it was a thirteenth age scenario, right? Okay. That probably tells you everything you need to know about how well it went. In fact, right. <laughs> I, I, I think what, what was what was very very apparent from from the beginning is where you have that that mechanic of uh, the escalation dice yes. in thirteenth age. Uh, that speeds up things like combat. Yeah. So we got very, very bogged down in one particular combat, which if it was 13th age we were playing, would have been over in about you know, five seconds flat. Yeah. 
So uh, I think whatever happens in terms of, uh, of, of scenarios in the future, I think we'll have to be a bit more circumspect about which ones we allow in. Right. As you said, uh, you chose that one. Yeah, so, so it was, thank it, you very much indeed. It made your own luck, wasn't it? It was make your own luck, which is a fantastic scenario. It's very, very good. But it is intimately tied in with 13th age, I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to hand over the podcast thank to you. you. I'm going to move, in fact, so that you can take over uh, the, the panel. So let's uh, change seats. Come on. So what we're going to do now is play the Frankenstein's RPG music, which we can't do it for PRS reasons. So does anybody know it? It goes... That's Zed cars. Thank you for hanging back afterwards, nursing your hangovers, exactly like me. Um, so uh, the the uh, episode thirteen, maybe twelve A, I think we'll call this one, uh, is uh, all about supplement. And in a slight change of format, we're going to ask you, the audience, to uh, to nominate which of the supplements goes into the Frankenstein's RPG game, which is uh, the audience participation piece of uh, of, of, the, of the pod. So I'm joined today by a, a quite extraordinary panel, really. Um, we have uh, representatives from all, all echelons of royalty within the, uh, f- uh, the role-playing community. So uh, if I can start on my, uh, on my left, if you could just introduce yourself, uh, Ian. Have the talking stick. Hey, I'm Ian Cooper, and I'm the line editor for Quest Worlds, formerly known as Hero Quest, formerly known as Hero Wars, at um, uh, Chaos uh, and uh, I hope to be more successful than uh, on my last appearance on Frankenstein's RPG and get less hate mail. <laughs> Hi, I'm Paul Fricker um, from the Good Friends of Jackson Elias podcast and uh, writing for Call of Cthulhu. Uh, and uh, I don't know what else to say. Yes, I'm here. <laughs> Thank you. I oh, know, it's a, a great opening speech. I spent quite a while preparing that. <laughs> Hello, I am Blythe. I am not a line editor and I'm not writing for Call of Cthulhu. I am Dirk's sidekick on the Grognor <laughs> Files. <laughs> I'm Robin to his Batman. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dirk the Dice and I'm the host of the Grognor Files podcast. Great to be here. I have a winning streak of two uh, items in uh, the Frankenstein's RPG, so I'm hoping to add three to the trophy. Depending on the uh, audience to help me. There you go. That's called lobbying. <laughs> Shameless. Shameless. <laughs> Go to his head. Okay, so, so uh, the, the topic in question, as I said, is, uh, is all about supplements. And I, I, I do remember, actually, it was Paul, you gave me the advice when we were talking about the Frankenstein's problem. <laughs> if you want to make any money, it's in the supplement. So we're going to be I'm making money. I'm very good at money. advising other people on making money. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we haven't made any money yet, but uh, we'll work our way up to it. So, uh, in terms of uh, supplement, it's, uh, it's obviously a very, very important part of expanding the world or the rule set or you know, uh, expanding the universe within the various games that we play. So, uh, if I can sort of start, maybe, um, who, should, who should we go first with? Uh, yeah, okay. So, uh, Ian, would you mind telling us what your supplement is? Uh, and why you think it should be uh, inducted into the Frankenstein's role-playing game. Uh, absolutely. I've just realised, actually, um, uh, for Dirk and Blythe, Blythe is, is Dirk's sidekick. I, we could stack them up in, in Quest Worlds. We do have rules for sidekicks. Uh, and then <laughs> we just need a, a distinguishing adjective and an occupation for each of them. Uh, and it would go down pretty well. So I, I invite uh, the audience on Twitter to take um, stabs at stacking up uh, Dirk and Blythe in Quest Worlds. Welcome, welcome to Frankenstein's RPG, officially sponsored by Questworld. <laughs> Keep your distinguishing adjectives to yourself. <laughs> Don't tell me what you can um, All right, so to go back to the supplements. So what, what I wanted to think about, um, particularly I think it may help 
with some of the, the struggles and challenges Frankenstein's RPG has with the idea of a, a starter set. And, and for me, I think the idea of a starter set really goes back to uh, Holmes, ba- Holmes basic D&D. And if you think about it, you know, D&D it, it was out for a while, but people were playing it from a mix of various books that, you know, TSR was putting out, articles in various magazines, and it was quite hard for anyone to really enter into playing D&D. It was badly explained, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a mass of various competing rules people had acquired and uh, homebrew descriptions. A bit like probably some sort of Frankenstein kind of RPG. Mm. And uh, There's a theme what, here. What yeah. Holmes did was effectively say, well, I can take all that and I can produce a, a simplified game that people could actually play. Um, and I can put an adventure in the box so that, you know, be ones into the unknown so that people can figure out how I play this game. Uh, and I think starter sets are, you know, incredibly valuable for a lot of games nowadays, giving you this way of saying, okay, I want to get into this game. I, I know people like this game. But how do I get started? Can you give me everything in a box I need just to get started and start playing the game? Uh, and we do have you know modern equivalents. So Call of Cthulhu has a great starter set with a you know a solo adventure. So you can create your character, you can play the game yourself before you think about running it for other people. Um, uh, simplified rules and a you know a, a, a starter adventure to use. Right? And given we are thinking of Frankenstein's RPG, I, I believe, in a kind of beyond-the-wall style setting, it might be quite nice. You could have a little uh, have one, one simplified rule set, a little solo adventure to run to get used to it, where you leave your village and discover something. Maybe a little uh, sample village book where you'd have some you know, uh, quirky NPCs the players to interact with, and perhaps a little first adventure, leaving your village um, uh, in search of adventure. And I, I feel that perhaps starter set could solve many of the Frankenstein's RPG problems um, and, and bring people in. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm going to put starter sets in overall. I, I thought for a while about if I was going to pick one, should I, should I say, you know, I, I should probably pick um, Quest Call of Cthulhu one. We haven't, we haven't, I'm thinking of having one, but yeah, not yet. <laughs> Call of Cthulhu or, you know, the new RuneQuest one, which uh, any of us have actually seen a physical copy of in the UK yet. Um, but I thought, you know, actually, maybe we should go back to uh, basic D&D as being the, the actual kind of real first supplement, this, this, uh, this principle of a box, simplified version of the rules, an adventure, a solo adventure, um, uh, and some handy kind of like tools for playing the game. But that seems to me to be the way to take Frankenstein's RPG forward. Yeah, good. And, and I think um, I think that... You're absolutely right in, in terms of being an introduction to games. And the other thing is, actually, that sometimes they can simply be the game themselves, can't they? You know, you don't need to have any more stuff. There's the Alien RPG starter set, science fiction coming in series two, uh, is, uh, is, is absolutely, it's almost a must-have. Plus, you get lots of funky dice in it. So, starter sets, right. Okay, like that. Thank you very much. Paul, working right. our way back along the line. Come on. What have you got? Well, um... I sat too thinking about, you know, a supplement that isn't a scenario, because you've already done scenarios, mm-hmm. and it can't be a setting, because we've already done settings, and uh, I thought, well, what, what supplements do I sort of know and love from, uh, from back in the day? And the one I've picked is, is uh, well, it, it wasn't really a supplement, because it was the first book that came out for that game or at least for that version of the game. But it is, and I've got it, I've got it in my bag. Oh, you're ready. You'll all, you'll all know it, I mean. No, I've got my hands full now. Yeah, keep going. Is it, is it here, request? So this, this is a soft cover, it flexes. Soft cover, AD&D Monster Manual. And this is the first role-playing game book that I bought, and of course, Playing D&D, what do you want? Or a fantasy game, what do you want? You've got the, well, you haven't got the rules yet because it hasn't come out yet. This came out in 77 and the player's handbook like the year after and so on. But you want a bunch of monsters because what's a fantasy game without monsters? But then you get this. Traveller. <laughs> That's next, I thought of next season. <laughs> you have to, you know. But then you get this. And you go, number appearing. Well, you know, what, what do I do with that? 
Mermen, 20 to 200 of them. <laughs> I'll do a little encounter. I've got three first level characters. As, as a player, but you know, in role playing game books, there were lots of uh, charts and diagrams, and sometimes I didn't understand what they meant at all. But they were almost like illustrations, you know, like artwork that just sort of added to the, the mystique, almost. Especially when you look at some of those um, diagrams in Space Master, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, which you needed, like, I don't know, some kind of PhD in astronomy to, to understand. But I, I kind of like the fact they're there. So if I were to publish a, a fantasy game, Dave, mm -hmm. I think I'd put some, like, diagrams and charts in with like numbers and stuff that meant nothing at all <laughs> to anyone but they'd look good and it, it'd give it a sense of like mystique and yeah. gravitas because I'd look at that and think this is well, traveller you're talking about just, just, just make a roll that's, that's what you'd say really <laughs> look at the chart but looking at this, this book you know, and, and leafing through it again the thing that hit me is almost every monster maybe not Everyone, but almost everyone, I'm looking at the crayfish here, actually there's no illustration of the crayfish, but almost everyone has got an illustration. They're, they're quite varied in their quality. Uh, some, I would say, are, are rendered really well. Some more, two are more, kind of, I wouldn't say bad, I'd say a slightly sort of cruder, more naive sort of style, like the brownie here I'm looking at. You know, it's the kind of thing, but the appeal of that, I think, is that when I got the book as a, as a teenager, I'd look at those and think, it's a black and white illustration. I did a bit of art. I, I could actually copy that. I could do those. And that sort of, it made it feel, I think, perhaps more accessible. I'm probably overthinking it. But it, it just sort of, you know, that, that's, that, that kind of do-it-yourself sort of ethos. Um, so I think that probably, you know, then bled into the fanzines and so on. Um, so, uh, yeah, so um, AD&D, Monster Manual, classic cover, I commend it to the house. Mm. Mm. And so nice that you've, uh, you've bound it so Yes, lovingly bound <laughs> in some brown tape, sellotape. And you are, you are sure it's the Monster Manual because you've talked about crayfish, crayfish and brownies. <laughs> oh, it could it's be a cookery, cookery book. Or oh, shit, yeah. Gary Guy gets his cook with Gary. <laughs> I think it's a good point you made, uh, Paul, about the art because uh, while the art in uh, the new Monster Manual is probably more dramatic and uh, more professional, it lacks character, doesn't it? It's like everything's gone through an equaliser, uh, that everything looks the same, whereas that monster man, the appeal of it is that it's, like you say, it's like got a DIY quality to it. Yeah, yeah. Makes it a very strong contender for this game, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah. DIY. Anyway, uh, over to the judge now. So, so, judge, okay. so monster manual, superb, superb choice, but uh, Blythe is now going to blow you out of the water, I think. Well, we'll see. Um, yeah, so I, I started to think about this, and they like you say, you've, you've done settings, um, uh, you've done scenarios. Um, and I started to think about supplements, and, and it seems to me that lots and lots of supplements are produced for games. But everything's for games masters. The players get a bit forgotten about when it comes to supplements. So my choice is all about the players, and my choice is Cults of Prax. Yes. Cults Ooh. of Prax. You're playing to the audience now, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Tactical. And because back in the day, because of the Prime Directive, obviously Dirk had RuneQuest and I couldn't buy RuneQuest. I couldn't run RuneQuest because that's what the Prime Directive said. What I could buy and what I could read was Cults of Prax because Cults of Prax is the RuneQuest supplement that gives you the kind of cult of Galantha and it gives you what essentially it's what you do in the game as a player that's really what cults of practice is all about it gives you as a player a bit of focus so you can choose a, a cult you know if you want to be a, a berserker and a fighty type character you can go for Stormble you know if you want to be uh, kind of uh, more, more kind of Think of a Lankar Mai if you want to be more of a sage or more of a knowledge seeker, that kind of thing. You've got Shalana Roy, which is the, the healing um, cult. So it gives you a real focus. 
And I think sometimes games do lack that. You know, I've I've got games that there's endless supplements for the games master, or endless scenarios and campaigns for games masters. But as a player, you're left sort of out in the cold a little bit. And ultimately, you need the players. It's all right as a games master having endless settings and endless supplements, but you've got to engage the players. And I'm thinking, Frankenstein's RPG, it needs players. So what you need is a supplement that gives players that little bit more for their characters to do. It gives them a focus in the game. It gives them all those kind of things. And Cult, Cult of Prax is one of the earliest examples of that and one of the best examples. Of that. It's still one of the best examples of that, I think. I know that AD&D used to have the player's handbook, but that's really a core rule book as far as I'm concerned. This isn't core rules. This is a supplement. Um, but at the same time, it's a supplement that without this... RuneQuest would not have been the game it was, you know, and it's full of like fantastic, fantastic details uh, about you know the different spells for the gods, you know, and I suppose some people say, and there's a bit of truth in this, it's a bit like character classes for RuneQuest. So RuneQuest always said there were no character classes, but this gives you, I don't think they're character classes, but it gives you a subtle kind of guide to the type of character you're playing in the world and what their motivations would be, what they're about, what they're going to think about the world and what they want to do in the world. And I, I do think that's a really important aspect of a role-playing game that gives players something, which a lot of games just... Not that they don't do it, but they don't do it, they don't do it enough, for, to my mind. Okay. So my, my choice is, is culture practice, something for the players, that's what you need. Mm. And also, you know, remember, there's more players probably than games masters. So financially, <laughs> it makes sense. It does. <laughs> Buy this if you're a player, you know. But, but, but it's not me you need to convince them. It's no, it's not. Although, uh, looking around the room, uh, I have a feeling I know who's going to win already. <laughs> Full of Goranta files, that's what. <laughs> it's good. Well, one, one of the things, obviously, actually, it, it, would, it would be extremely helpful for... I don't want to big up your choice, you know, because this is a competitive environment. But one, one of the things we have got is we've got these archetypes, which can tend to be quite broad. You know, it's a spellcaster, it's a scoundrelly type person, and it's a warrior type person. So something that can give you sort of a, almost like a, a, a handy hints of this is the kind of thing you could do. Yeah. Is that the sort of thing Culture Prax could deliver, do you think? I think it could, yeah, something like that. I mean, a good, another good example, game that does it really well, is Warhammer does that where mm. it gives you quite defined careers and quite a lot of them, yeah. which is interesting to pick from but of course that's that's part of core game not, yeah. not a supplement whereas yeah. this is a is a supplement and interestingly Warhammer didn't make it in at all in fact I don't think RuneQuest has made it in at all to, to the game well we can change that to yeah. <laughs> we can change that everyone <laughs> this is like a hustings now is it got, I have a dream come on <laughs> sell it to them properly good I, I remember uh, Ian, we met in here about three years ago and you were interviewed here and this was your routine wasn't it Cult of Prax into uh, Goantha yeah so um, I, uh, I, I I think I'd had some teeth out and uh, <laughs> uh, I knew I was going to have a few days I was going to have a few days recovering and I think my parents had given me some money to go and buy some you know game book to read virtually etc while I was going to be at home recovering and uh, I went out to the game shop and there was this book, Cult of Prax. At the time, I'd never heard of RuneQuest. And, uh, well, I think I'd seen it occasionally in White Dwarf. Picked it up, but mainly thinking, this will be useful for my D&D game. I'll get some you know, ideas I can steal out of it for D&D. Read this thing, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Particularly, it was the narratives they have of the travels of Bichero and Barosh around the world. And I was like, enchanted by this world. And so I thought, I better go and buy the rule book now. Uh, and that really was how I, I got into Grantford. It was Copter Prax that sold it on much more than um, the mechanics of RuneQuest. It was, it, was, it was the world that I really I fell in love with. Good. Thank you for that. So Cults of Prax, right? So supplements. Over to you. What's your, uh, what's your nomination? Well, as you know, I'm pitching a concept for this uh, RPG, Frankenstein's RPG. Golem. The idea that uh, the player characters uh, are seeking out around the world 
different items to construct mm -hmm. uh, golems to protect themselves, protect uh, uh, cities and, and villages. And you know, is it? Uh, I love uh, bestiaries. I love bestiaries. They're the you know that I, I could collect them. And the monster manual is a fine example. But sometimes you don't need more monsters. You just need to have a better understanding of the monsters you've got. <laughs> so I'm putting yeah. forward the best ever supplement ever created. The troll pack. Quiet in the cheap sheets. <laughs> and uh, troll pack was uh, a Christmas gift that uh, I got, and I must admit that it was wasted on me as a 13-year-old because it is such a, a rich and fantastic uh, book and I think if anybody has any doubts about uh, Glorantha I think this is a, a routine because you read it now and you realise what a wonderful thing it is because not only has it got details about the ecology of uh, trolls it sets them up as a culture as a relativism they're not evil they're just existing in the world and they've got uh, an important role in the world um, and it also has the weirdness so they um, use giant insects to, uh, to to go about their daily life and they use them as part of their uh, daily activity there's a hierarchy within the uh, culture and uh, there are competing um, elements and factions and different cults but what I really love about it is its sense of humour and that's what people sometimes forget, I think, with uh, Goantha, that it is really funny. You've got troll ball, so you can uh, chuck a troll king around a field for fun. Um, and some of the names in here are hilarious. Uh, I've got one of the uh, god here, uh, the god of uh, music, which I always makes me laugh. Uh, the great drummer, hum, bum, 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 bum. bum. <laughs> and I believe that it was called Troll Pack because uh, it was uh, Lynn Willis, I think, who suggested it. Like a six pack, it's something that you could pick up and have fun with. Uh, so that's why it gets its name. So, audience, I put to you the greatest supplement ever written for any game anywhere Troll Pack and commend it for. Uh, Frankenstein's RPG because you'll need to know about golems and you need to understand how they exist in the world and what you can do with them and have plenty of stats for golems that's what you'll need so Dirk, I hear what you're saying about the golems how many types of golem is there in, the, in your book? in my book? yeah You'll need loads of golems, won't you? Well, in the AD&D monster <laughs> manual, we've got the clay golem, flesh, iron, stone. There's quite a, quite a variety of golems, so if you're looking for golems, <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I think this might be actually what you're talking about, because I think your idea of you know, this, this whole theme for, for Frankenstein's RPG is, is a very sound one, and I'd like to support that well, with, <laughs> with, with the monster manual. But does it explain how the uh, digestive system of a golem might work? I think you can just. Uh, that, that's taken <laughs> away. That's taken away GM creativity. <laughs> I'd say that's fifteen all. <laughs> New balls, please. Uh, right. Well, you, you've all made uh, fantastic uh, um, suggestions, um, and thank you all for participating. But there'll be nothing to do with RuneQuest or Dungeons & Dragons getting into this game. Uh, what I would like to do, what I would really like to do, is to commend everybody to... Uh, uh, to and this is more of a philosophy rather than a specific, but I'm, I'm using the Conan uh, rule set. And what I'm, uh, I'm arguing we ought to have within Frankenstein's RPG is... The GM Scream, everybody. The GM Scream. Mainly to hold back those hordes of players who are trying to read their way through cults of cracks and bloody golem pack or whatever it is. <laughs> you need something to keep them at a distance. So I'm, I'm saying uh, Conan 2D20, the GM screen. But I'm taking one stage further, though. And what I'm doing is something that uh, Modiphius have done 
possibly by default. And what they produce with their, within their GM screen, so there's one for Dune, I think, there's one for, uh, certainly there is for Conan, since I've got it in my hand. Um, it's, it's the, the Game uh, Master's Toolkit. Now, ironically, for, uh, for Modifius anyway, what they've done with their GM screen and their Game Master's Toolkit is actually give you what the game should be. Because in their rule book, which is about 300 pages long, it's completely and utterly impenetrable. And you sit there and you read it from cover to cover and you go, I have absolutely no idea how this game works. And then you go, oh, but you know, it looks pretty, so I'll go and buy some, another supplement for it. And you buy the GM screen. And you open the GM screen, and actually, there is the game. That is Conan 2D20 on four stiffened leaves. Uh, they should just have produced four pieces of paper <laughs> in a very, very attractive pack, um, and, uh, and, and that would have been Conan 2D20. But the other things that they've got within this sort of Game Master's toolkit, though, is a fantastic little resource, I thought, which is a random adventure scenario generator. So with the, the adventure generator, you literally start on page one, and you go through about five or six pages, randomly rolling. Who doesn't, who doesn't like a dice roll? Uh, and you, at the end of that process, you come out with a scenario. And those two elements, I think, mean that's, I think, where Frankenstein's RPG really should be concentrating, on something that explains the, the game to everybody, very, very simplistic. I'm trying to get it down to four pages, but unfortunately there's about eight pages of hit tables, so, uh, so it's unlikely to happen. So, uh, gentlemen, ladies, I, I commend to you Conan, or, or the Games Master's screen, with Games Master's toolkit. Thank you very much. Has there ever been a game that has been produced that has been entirely against Master Screen, so everything done against Master Screen? Could that be a format they could follow? We could be the first. We could be the first. I think the only unfortunate thing is once you've done that, you can't then do other you know, soft-covered rule books or, or yeah. something like that. So it, it might be a bit limiting. You could have a series of Games Master Screens, perhaps. I don't know what, how that would work. But, I, uh, I don't use a screen. No, but I, you, you like a screen. I like you? a Games Master Screen. Yeah. People say it's puts a psychological barrier between you and the players, but I don't mind that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel comforted by it. <laughs> it's your safe place. That's exactly. it. We'll call it the safe yeah. place screen. Yeah. Always buy the Games Master screen. Always. The, okay. the Games Master screen, I find, is it, it opens that, that difficult question, though, which is about should the GM roll in secret or roll in yeah. the open in front of everybody else? And I, I was quite shocked to discover the huge numbers of people that favour GMs rolling in secret and, you know, fudging the dice. And <laughs> I, I was quite shocked. that I, I was like, that seems remarkably unfair. Uh, surely the dice should just be rolled and stand as they are. But that, it does cause quite a lot of um, controversy, it turns out, with this particular idea. Uh, but there you go. I, I, I would suggest if, you're, if, you're, if you can't, if your game is one where the GM constantly has to fudge the dice rolls to make yeah. it work at the table. There's maybe something broken with the game in the first place. But I there, I there, there is an I element of truth in that, actually. <laughs> I can <laughs> confirm there is an element of truth in what you've just said. I don't use it to hide the dice rolls. I use it to hide me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe we could make it sort of low level, a low level screen, but like really, really long. A5 like <laughs> star. Good. So, okay, so we, we, we will now, as a panel, we will nominate. And we'll try and get down to two yeah. and, then, and then do a vote off for, for the final two. Is that okay? Are you happy with that? Okay. So, uh, in which case, uh, we'll start where we, where we began. Ian, what, uh, what's your, your nomination? Uh, sorry, you can't obviously vote for your own. Very strict ruling on, on this game. Uh, so, you have uh, uh, Mr. Fricker's uh, AD&D Monster Manual. Uh, we have uh, Judge Blythe with uh, Cults of Prax. And continuing the uh, RuneQuest theme, we have Dirt the Dice Troll Pack. Uh, and then obviously you have the winner, which is the GM screen. So. <laughs> I, mean, I feel quite conflicted here because uh, I previously mentioned Troll Pack on a Frankenstein's you RPG did. You uh, did. post. So I, I feel that, you know, there's some level of consistency would suggest that I ought to basically uh, reward it by vote. Um, but Culture Prax uh, also bears a, you know, a strong kind of uh, a fondness in my heart as the thing that really drew me into Glorantha. I, I, the Monster Manual I feel a bit, um, uh, for a modern game, uh, 
it lacks something for me in the sense of a modern uh, game. Uh, it feels Frankenstein's <laughs> RPG. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but it feels a little bit like the. the I, I'd want something. I, I definitely think that in, if, if we're contrasting Troll Pack and the Monster Manual, the motivations not treating not treating the monsters just as things to loot and kill, but things that you know as. I think Greg sort of troll pack trolls have kin too. Mm. Um, uh, is definitely a stronger thing. So I think I have to part the monster manual and it's and it's slightly crazy illustrations um, to begin with. The GM screen and that's interesting, right? Because there's not necessarily that much divergence between the idea of a starter set mm. and some GM screen. Some GM screens actually do come with like a little adventure to run and pre-gen characters, etc. Yeah, so yeah. some of them do stray into that era. It's almost a it's like a lightweight version of the starter set. So there's yeah. another part of me that feels, well, should I should I vote for that on the basis that it's a similar idea to my own? But, yeah. um, so essentially, what you're trying to do is turn my suggestion <laughs> into your suggestion, so you can therefore <laughs> vote for it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you've seen through my starting kind of crap. Uh, but, but I think what I will actually do is vote for Troll Pack on the basis that uh, it's something I've previously tried to bring in to Frankenstein's RPG. I, I think it's a definitely a direction we should go. Okay. As long as we call it something like uh, Gollum Stein, a Stein being you know, the equivalent of a pack, and, uh, and oh, Gollum, so Gollum Stein, we, we should be calling it, I think. Gollum Stein, very clever. But you don't, get, uh, you don't get any points for being clever on this show. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so uh, Paul, uh, you can't obviously vote for the Monster Manual. Right. Uh, what would you like to go for? Uh, I mean, there, there's several good options here. I think they're well. They're all good options. I think the starter set is is a very sound one, um, but I guess I won't go for that because it's something I would. It's a great thing. I would get it. I'd use it, and then it would sort of go on the shelf. So, whereas I'd like to get something that I'm going to keep, you know, using again and again. But the starter set is 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 a great one. Um, I think Cults of Prax. I think the the idea of having a supplement for the players. Is 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 a really good one, um, and something we probably don't see enough. It tends to be, you know, all aimed at the the GM the person running the game. I think I'm probably going to go for the Kiefer screen, though. The, not the Kiefer screen. Yes, the Kiefer screen. That's what it's called. <laughs> what do you mean, GM screen? <laughs> the GM screen, as some people call it. Uh, because I like that idea. I'm, I use a screen as well, Blythe. I'm with you on that. Um, I like having it there mainly for like just just quick reference um, and to be able to sort of shovel me crap behind it and uh, and then like pretend I'm looking something up while I'm just trying to quickly improvise <laughs> something. Um, so uh, yeah, I like I like the idea that you can kind of condense the rules onto just onto the screen. Because that sort of says the game's not too complex as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be my nomination. Fantastic. Thank you. I've, uh, I've always liked you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> now, Judge Blythe. So we, we have the voting so far. We have one vote for Trollback. We have one vote for the GM screen, which ultimately will be the winner. Uh, but you cannot vote for Cults of Prax. So we have the Monster Manual, Starter Set, Troll Pack, and the GM Screen. Right, okay. Well, I'm not going to vote for Troll Pack, because it means he'll have three, he'll have three in, and he'll be in, he'll be unbearable. <laughs> plus, 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 you never used to let me read Troll Pack, did you? Because I was in secret, secret. <laughs> <laughs> Troll Pack. Not going for that, not that bitter. Yeah, see, still at it. Um, starter Set, well, I... Yeah, I think I agree with Ian. I think starter sets are a great idea in terms of getting people into the game. But I suppose for me personally, I never go for the starter set. I always go for the, the game because I always think if I like the starter, I'll, I'll get the game anyway. So I suppose, but I can see the argument that it, it gets people into a game. Perhaps sometimes people who perhaps not maybe not familiar with role playing games. You know, I think you're right about the D and D starter set. That's probably contributed to D&D being so popular that they did have a, a way in that was, was simple um, and I like a Games Master screen Dave, I do, I always get a Games Master screen, I do like them <laughs> but Monster Manual you see I, I do like Monster Manual I, 
great thing of Monster Manual is it's one of those books that I've spent so many hours flicking through and reading, even when I'm not putting an adventure together. And I, yeah, I'd, I'd probably have to say that my vote goes to Monster Manual. Ooh, because I do great. think it's. <laughs> It's an I'll, I'll it's hold an, up the applause board. It's an, <laughs> it's an entertaining read, you know. People talk about a lonely film. You can do that at home, just read the Monster Manual, and it's great. You're not playing the game, but it's like you are playing the game. So, yeah, Monster Manual, to my vote. Thank you very much. So, well, Dirk. So, what, what do I pick from this yeah. array? So don't forget, you cannot vote for Troll Pack, so that's, that's potentially... Potentially opening the door for the GM screen. It is, it is. You, remember, you used to love this back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Really, you did, like it. You did. Um, yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, the best supplement is out of the running, so I have to pick uh, what remains. So, um, a GM screen. I I don't use GM screen. I've got plenty of GM screens, but I, I don't I don't use them. And even in play. Because I am loath to stop the floor to look things up, although I did it yesterday. Could have done with the gangbusters uh, <laughs> games master screen yesterday. But I'm I'm also so books I don't tend to refer to them in front of me anyway. Um, so I, I, I I'm afraid I can't support a GM screen uh, for that for that reason. Mm. Uh, I love a bestiary uh, and uh, Monster Manual is a great, great book. Um, and enjoy it, but I'm never really into D and D, and I like like uh, Ian said, it just treated uh, monsters as fodder and uh, numerical uh, things and uh, vampires draining levels. What's that about? Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm still bitter. Uh, <laughs> this is, all of a sudden, this has turned into group therapy. <laughs> We've got the shine retiring on the left of me. <laughs> And, and Cults of Pratt, I've spent many of our reading Cults of Pratt, and that was my way into understanding what Rolanda was all about, and I love the stories, and it's just, they're just so well written. However, I think what this needs is a starter set, because for too long, uh, gamers and the gaming industry have been inward-looking and looking at ways in which they can speak to themselves and talk to themselves. What the starter set represents is inviting people into the community and providing a gateway, an accessible gateway for people to play and enjoy role-playing experiences. So I commend the uh, troll pack, but in reserve, <laughs> a starter pack. A starter set, okay, so. And also, well, we return, the return of boxes. That's brilliant, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, That's, yeah. We've been through a terrible, terrible time over the last few months, <laughs> three couple of years. But the return of the box and the dice in a box, that is brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. There's no reason why the starter set couldn't have a little mini section on golems in it, uh, I think. <laughs> it's okay, he's voted for you. <laughs> you can relax, you can relax. So, uh, we have a tie. At the moment, we have a four-way tie. <laughs> uh, I, I think this is possibly the first time I think this has happened, in, in fact, uh, on the show. We've got a four-way tie going into the last vote, and I can't vote for my own. Hmm. So, having said that, though, of course, um, uh, it is my podcast, so uh, you know I could break the rules and, and just vote myself. That, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I do agree. Starter sets, fantastic, absolutely brilliant, and, and there've been several games, like you said. Uh, that you, you bought the starter set and then went, oh, should have just bought the game. So I can see the sort of dollar signs in my eyes are sort of ticking over as, as, we're, as we're talking about. So a starter set for the Frankenstein's RPG, I think would be a great idea. The D&D Monster Manual, um, although if we if we were to make it, could, do we have to have the parcel tape all over it? No. Oh yeah, that's all okay. part of the... Yeah, the Bad, badly bound with parcel yeah, tape all the, over it. The DIY ethos. Can, can I can I use a highlighter in it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's going to trigger about half the audience. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be handwritten notes in it as well. So maybe it has, it has a highlighter taped, gaffer taped to the side. <laughs> I think it's spin-ups. Is there, is there any Tipex inside it? <laughs> uh, I don't think there's Tipex. Mm -hmm. no. Tipex optional. Yeah. 
Uh, I, 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 do, I do like troll pack, and in fact, as, as uh, Ian quite rightly said, we had a really interesting sort of conversation about you know what it was all about, and monsters have feelings too. I think was the, was the one phrase that sticks in my mind, and I think that's that is incredibly important. Um, I would have loved to have voted for the uh, 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 for the GM screen clearly, but I, I am going to send it to the audience. I'm going to vote for Cults of Prax because I absolutely agree with you that we do need to have something for the players and that does have to be something that allows that game to to really sort of live in people's minds but they, that they can make it their own though. and I think Cults of Prax does that so I, I'm voting for Cults of Prax so ladies, gentlemen we have a five way tie <laughs> your role has just got significantly bigger so, uh, so what we're going to do is, in a moment, I'm going to put on my Mike Reed suit, and we're going to do run around, <laughs> run around now. Uh, we're not. You're just going to raise your hands. Nothing physically active. <laughs> as soon as I said, you've got to get up. I think everyone's the shock in the room is just extraordinary. He says, nursing an absolute king hangover. But, uh, so, uh, I think what we'll do is we'll, we'll try and get it down to, to two. So we'll do do by show of hands. Uh, and if I could call on the panel just to count those hands. So, uh, if, if you believe, uh, if you believe that the AD&D Monster Manual is the supplement that we should have for uh, for uh, Frankenstein's RPG, beautifully modelled by <laughs> by Mr. Fricker, there, uh, could you raise your hands now? Oh, I don't think I heard you. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's an underwhelming vote, I'm going to call that. Yeah, that's three that's votes. That's it, three votes. Three Don't votes. rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> Just three. And you, you can put your hand down at the back now. It's, it's not like a longevity contest. <laughs> the longest vote wins. So, uh, if, if, if you'd like to go with uh, Mr Cooper's uh, starter set, if you believe that's the supplement we have. Ooh. 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 I did, I did better than I expected. I was, I, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's five votes for that. That's five votes. Uh, if you if you would go for uh, troll pack from uh, from Dirk, that's oh they came late to the party. I thought we were just going to get one, but that's three votes, three votes for troll. Yes, that's three. That's three, Dave. <laughs> and, uh, and and now uh, uh, Judge Blythe's uh, cults of prax. How many voted? Ooh, <laughs> forest. Hold on, same What's that? Is that nine? Yeah. Thirty-six. <laughs> I'm seeing double still. <laughs> uh, nine. Okay. And and the final, uh, uh, which clearly is going to be the winner, it is the uh, the GM screen. Uh, and I should just model it now. The GM screen. Anybody? Oh, one, two, three. Mm, that's a uh, six. So by, by a, a process of deduction, we're seated together mm. next to each other. Uh, the two, the two uh, supplements that we're voting for, for Frankenstein's RPG, are, with nine votes, uh, Cults of Prax uh, versus the GM screen uh, for, for Frankenstein's RPG. So uh, we, are, uh, we are deciding whether it's Cults of Prax or GM screen that goes into the Frankenstein's RPG as the supplement of choice. So it's a straight vote off. Cults of Prax? Three? Was that three? <laughs> Four, 30, 40, 14, I believe. Yeah, 14. So, uh, for the remainders, GM screen? Oh, yes, look at that. I think it's two arms. One hand each. I have to say, in a travesty. <laughs> a, tra a travesty of justice. Thank you, Grog Squad. At last, at last. Cults of Prax, by, by four whole votes, uh, has made it into uh, Frankenstein's so RPG.
don't think we've ever had a round of applause before on a French style <laughs> It's usually a barrage of hate. So, uh, listen, thank you very much indeed, everybody. Certainly, thank you very much for, uh, for the panel coming today. So, a quick round of applause for the panel. Then, uh, and then for all of you for, for taking part. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Thanks to Dave, Ian and Paul for bringing Frankenstein's RPG to Grogmeat. You can catch up with the podcast by following the link in the show notes. Thanks to Blythe, Neil, Alan, Newt, Pookie and Dave for helping with the organisation of the event this year and to all the GMs who brought fantastic experiences for the people who attended, either in Manchester or online. Thanks. Same again next year. Around this time of year, I like to give some additional recommendations of podcasts that you might like. Every month in the Patreon newsletter, I like to point the Grog Squad towards podcasts that are sitting in my pod box. I must admit that my tastes have been pretty static for a while, so forgive me if you've heard these before. If you have any personal recommendations, I'd love to hear from you. I walk along the Leeds-Liverpool Canal every evening with voices in my head. New ones would be good to hear. Get a pen and write these down or follow the links in the show notes. If you're a regular listener, you know that I'm not a fan of actual play podcasts, but I make an exception for Tale of the Manticore. It's a solo actual play using old school sensibilities where the dice decide the outcome. The production is superb. The sounds and music are really compelling. It makes my walking pace increase. And John has a fantastic voice and narrative style. Before long, you really care for the characters and that can be heartbreaking if the dice think differently. I don't like listening to actual plays, but I love actually playing. So if I'm offered a game and it happens to be recorded, that's brilliant. I appeared on What I'm Rolling in the Vert Sessions as a player in Rob Arcangeli's game that brought me and my blurb flies face to face with a moment in Manchester's musical history. Check that out. I've also appeared in a couple of podcasts this year talking about Moorcock. Breakfast in the Ruins, hosted by Andrew Stimbot Stimpson, is a great deep delve into Moorcock, but also taking diversions into other pulp classics from his collection inherited from Pops. The recent Halloween special featured Guy N. Smith's Crabs. I was on there earlier this year talking about wizardry and wild romance, Moorcock's contentious foray into lit crit. I really enjoyed revisiting this book that had a huge formative influence on my early reading. One of my favourite must-listen-when-it-comes-out podcasts is Ralph Lovegrove's Fictoplasm, which is currently at its very best. It's a show that looks in depth at a featured topic, providing a summary, deep analysis and gaming reflections and opportunities. I recommend episode 100 which recently came out about Grant Morrison's The Invisibles, but they're all really good at doing what they do. I was on talking about Quorum, as Ralph is making his way through the 1990s millennium publication of the Eternal Champion books. Ralph and Stimbot have influenced my reading list this year, as has Weird Studies. It's not a gaming podcast, but I do love it. I may not always agree with the analysis by Phil Ford and J.F. Martel, but I admire their endeavour. A filmmaker and a musicology professor exploring subjects of the 14 and how it interacts with philosophy and culture. There's an episode about Dungeons and Dragons, if you want an onboarding point, or another on the Yellow King. A recent episode considers role-playing and the creative effort required in the context of Herman Hesse's Glass Bead Game. If you want to keep your feet more on the ground, then please persevere with gaming and BS. It's taken me a couple of attempts to get into Brett and Sean's weekly gaming podcast. They have a great rapport with each other and have good tips and techniques to deal with a chosen topic. But they tend to front-end their programs with directionless exchanges about the current games that they're playing. You get used to it once you've settled into their style, 
but the real meat of their content only starts about 20 minutes in. Good, down-to-earth stuff with practical, accessible advice. A podcast that is more serious about fun is the Gauntlet podcast. Gauntlet is an online community of gamers that also publish games. Jason Cardova recently appeared on the Smart Party podcast talking about Brindlewood Bay and others, but he's the host of Fear of the Black Dragon, which is uh, part of the Gauntlet stable of podcasts. Tom and Jason give detailed analysis of vintage modules, and it's one of the best around, it really is. But you know that, don't you? If you don't, then add it to your list. They're coming to the end of their run-through of The Enemy Within campaign. It's great stuff. The Gauntlet podcast is more newsy, but also focused on play, concentrating on what the presenters have been playing. As a starting point, try out a recent episode about one-shots. It's not typical of their output, but it demonstrates what Lowell, one of their hosts, brings to gaming. It's an excellent primer on table management and the application of safety tools at conventions. I should also mention All Anthrexes Gaming Vexes, which I've appeared on. Steve is a relaxed host, a brilliant GM, and he's trying to play everything that he's bought. When he's completed the game, he invites his group to talk through it, and what works and what doesn't. Someone said, I like that podcast, but he isn't very vexed, is he? Calm and steady as it goes, you'll recognise some of the voices on there from the loosely defined Grog Squad community. There's a new podcast on the block that's still finding its feet, but worth checking out. Keith and Scott, who are regulars at the online virtual gamers pub, the Mitchester's Arms, have launched Titterpigs. It'll be interesting to see how that develops over the next few months. Check it out. I think that's everything for now. If you want some more like this, then join the Patreon, as I provide one every month, as well as other recommendations. The Discord channel is also a good source of podcast listening inspiration. Get in touch for an invite. Thanks for listening to this. I'll be back soon with the third part of the Fighting Fantasy episode 50. I'm still waiting to sort out one sequence. Perhaps it will never appear and we'll skip to episode 51. Episode 50 part 3 will be like Yadorovsky's Dune. It doesn't exist, but somehow it does. Let's wait and see. Until then... And, and before we finish, um, I have a gift for Dirk from... This was given to me by Mikey the Demon Samurai. I don't think that's, that's your real name, Mikey, is it? <laughs> or maybe, maybe it is. <laughs> um, as a, I, he wanted me to give this to you as a gift from the Grog Squad as a whole. Uh, as, as a thank you for organising everything. And it is signed picture. Way oh. 70. I'm shocked up about this. <laughs> the eternal champion is Lamb's Navy Rum. It's where the action is. Blimey, Charlie. <laughs> no, it's been a, a great few days and I want to thank everybody who's uh, made it possible the GMs, the players uh, Fanboy3, they've been great haven't they and yeah, uh, Fitzgerald's next door and uh, no, it's been fa- fabulous and all the people online as well there's a couple hundred people playing online so uh, you forget about that don't you but thank you everybody for uh, coming it's been a great event and uh, your participation has made it special so thank you and until next year Adios amigos. I'll tear that on.